Prepare your heart to be moved by God through the preaching and teaching of His Word as delivered at Truth Gatherer's Dream Center Church. Let's go to Mark the 5th chapter. I want to start there. Hallelujah. I feel the Holy Spirit to help me teach today. Mark the 5th chapter, verse 34. and We'll start there. And I'm going to use several other scriptures to kind of teach this lesson today. Um, it is a dynamic lesson. It is a part of the journey of winning in the crisis. If you've been with us, I want to remind some of you who may be joining on for the first time this morning. Um, and hopefully just shortly uh, give your understanding what it takes to win in a crisis. God has really been dealing with me on my need to teach and to coach people through a crisis. I've been trying to balance messages that have a little bit of inspiration and then coming back and giving you some teaching because it takes both to get you out of a crisis and get you out of a crisis mindset. A crisis mindset makes you think you're losing, making you think you're never going to reach your destiny. You start feeling like life is not a plant. You feel like your life is chaotic. You feel like your life is lucky, right? That you're depending on luck to grow, luck to prosper. That's everything that a crisis mindset would do to you. You feel attacked, all right? Of course you feel vulnerable, but you feel attacked. You feel victimized. And it's hard to win when you have all those overriding mindsets and emotion upon you. And so God has been strategically helping me to, to navigate many of you through this time of a crisis. All right, time of a crisis. Using Mark, the fifth chapter, about this one with the issue of blood. And so I've tried to inspire you and teach you. And lastly, I've been kind of trying to shift you uh, uh, to a point that I can make you become intentional people. All right, intentional people. Uh, intentional people will win their battle. Intentional people. If, if you begin to act out of different emotions and you don't know why you did what you did and you end up saying words that you really didn't mean to say, you end up doing things, actions, you're like, oh, and you end up always having to go backwards to ask for forgiveness of people and to always undo something you've done and you're making mistakes because your emotions are still in the fight, I gotta get you to be intentional, all right? Intentional is where God has shifted us, trying to get us out of that crisis mindset and move us into an intentional mindset because winners are intentional. Winners are strategic, all right? They are strategic. They have a strategy. All right, and God has tried uh, through these teachings to, to snatch the pain and the emotion of the process and the trauma of life, uh, snatch it not out of being uh, uh, snatching as if it's aggressive, but through a loving method of grabbing hold of that emotion that was spinning, keeping it from spinning and grabbing it and pulling that emotion out of your life so you can become an intentional believer. Or intentional believer. I reminded you of a principle on last week and I used football to describe it. Uh, I describe it like we love the emotion of a football game when it's at its last and final seconds. We love that emotion that comes on that football game uh, when our team is down and they are potentially in a two-minute drill or they have a minute on the clock and they're trying to score. 
and perhaps they is too far to kick a field goal uh, for the for the kicker. So they decide in the last few seconds to throw up what is called a hail mary. It's a football pass that you throw it up as a wish and a prayer that your your man on your team will catch the ball in the end zone and score a touchdown. God began to tell me that he's trying to deliver us from a Hail Mary type lifestyle. That we're always throwing up Hail Marys in hope of winning. God wants to shift us to a strategic intentional life that we know how to win in every circumstance and in every situation. And so that's a short synopsis of all the messages I've preached in short, that's very short, uh, in the synopsis on how God tries to get our emotions recovered so we can be intentional. So we can be intentional. Today I'm building upon last week's message of this woman. You can go to Mark the fifth chapter, verse 34, because I'm going to read this final verse that Jesus said to this woman. Mark 5, 34, when I begin to teach and inspire you through the message, your faith ignites prophecy, all right? So upon this foundation, I need you to understand this woman was living and walking by faith. I begin to teach you that she had faith before she met Jesus. I begin to teach you that you and I live by faith every day, no matter if it's folding our clothes, uh, ironing our clothes for the next day at work, um, no matter whatever act we take, in step for another day is an act of faith. But things changed when she had an act of faith towards Jesus, all right? So faith ignites prophecy. She went for healing, but her faith grabbed wholeness. And it ignited a prophecy that had been in her life while she had an issue. Now, this woman had been dealing with an issue for 12 years, but can I tell you this? She had been dealing with prophecy much longer. She had been dealing with an issue for 12 years, but she actually had a prophecy since the beginning of her birth. She had something in her life that she was trying to discover because somehow when you read the text, you have to believe that this woman believed that she was going to be healed because she didn't lie dormant. She didn't quit. She didn't sit down. And many of you through your life actions are demonstrating that you have a prophecy because you refuse to lay down, give up, although many things have come up in your life. You have failed God many times. You have failed yourself. Uh, you've let yourself down. Can we be honest? We've been in wrong places at wrong times, but guess what? You've had many shifts. You had many transitions. You had many changes. Many of you tried to give up. Some of you tried to commit suicide. Some of you tried to have self-sabotage, but you keep proving that there is something greater than your issues. It is called a prophecy. And so today, I want to teach from the topic, moving into your prophetic destiny. Moving into your prophetic destiny. All right, because we recognize one of the things that causes you to fight through your troubles 
through your trials and through your hardship is having a prophecy knowing that God has designed you for something good in the earth every living person on this earth God has ordained an assignment and so I want you to be more aware that you have a purpose and it's a good purpose you have a destiny and it's a good destiny and God wants to fulfill that assignment in your life and he wants you to fulfill it and so this woman has pressed through the pain the ridicule and she has not just grabbed a healing but she's grabbed a prophecy let's read it in Mark 5 34 so we can kind of um, capture this prophetic destiny and begin to teach you from several other scriptures about how to move into prophetic destiny I got to teach you some spiritual things so you can start winning. I got to teach you some spiritual things so your destiny, like never before, will awaken in you. I believe that this is the year of the mouth. This is the year to declare. And the Bible tells us that faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. And I believe in the year of 2020, which still symbolizes the year of vision, God knows what it takes to see. Genesis 1 describes that it takes our mouth to see it. And God knows that prophecy is so integral to navigating through this life. Be honest, the reason we've been making it this far in this pandemic, pandemic is because we refuse to believe everything we're seeing. We're still prophesying God's good will. Let's go to Mark 5, verse 34. Let's read it. It says, and he said, this is the very end of her healing. In her whole transition of, of chasing after Christ, it says, verse 34, and he said unto her, Jesus said, daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole. In other words, he says to her, you did it. You didn't give up. Your faith hath grabbed hold to healing and wholeness. And he takes ownership of her. And he affirms her that she is his daughter. He calls her daughter. Many times as you travel through life or the process, and I'm going to talk a little bit later about process, the process of prophecy, sometimes you feel like you're losing yourself. You feel like you're losing yourself or never reaching yourself. You feel like you can't touch who you really are. So he reminds her that she is a daughter. She belongs to a family. She's not an outcast. She's not ostracized. That she is a part of a loving family. Daughter is a word of endearment and it means you belong to me. So in the midst of a woman who's shaking and trembling, uh, uh, grappling with the fact that she's made it through all this circumstance, he says, daughter, thy faith have made thee whole. Then he says, go in peace and behold of that plate. Now that whole go in peace is a prophetic gesture. First of all, daughter is too. So daughter, let me slow down. Daughter is the, the work a prophecy coming to confirm that you belong. It comes to confirm that you belong. It's hard to win when you feel like you don't belong. So he confirms and affirms that you belong. And we see prophecy comes through confirmation and affirmation. We even see it um, in Jesus, in the Gospels, when Jesus is baptized and John is saying, hey, I'm not worthy to baptize you. I'm not worthy to even walk in your shoes. Jesus says to John the Baptist, Baptist, suffer it to be so. 
And after he baptizes Jesus, the heavens open, the spirit descends as a dove. Some of y'all know, some of y'all know what I'm talking about, but I want to show you the point of confirmation, affirmation. Then the Holy Spirit, the Father says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. All right. To everybody around him. Notice confirmation and affirmation comes many times, not just in a personal setting, but you're going to see even what we study today that he'll do it in a public setting so that not you only know, but those around you know that God has selected you. So this prophetic a movement in your destiny happens through confirmation and affirmation. Just like Jesus, he said, this is my beloved son. So you got the son, you got the Holy Spirit, and you got the father. Right there in that one text. Three, that's the number of witness, right? The number of witness. God shows a witness that he's with Jesus, right? And it's right before John the Baptist and the rest of the people who were there getting baptized. Confirmation and affirmation are a very important step to moving people into their prophetic destiny. And God is wanting to confirm and affirm that you are his and that you belong to him. You are his and you belong to him. So Jesus uses this prophetic unction to now push her. Now I need, I need to, I got to slow down today because I got to teach, to push her. It's important that after you get the healing that you don't get stuck with just a healing. He don't want this woman stuck just with the healing. So he now talks about wholeness. Wholeness brings her back to the original intent in which she was born. The original intent in which she was birthed. It seemed like her issue kept her away from her original intent. So he speaks the word of wholeness. So she's just not stuck around talking about I've been healed. Right. He wants her to move into purpose. So he says, go. He gives a direction. Go in peace and behold of thy plague. All right. So that her that whole phrase go in peace is mean move. It's time for you to do something. I've healed you for a purpose. And so many of you who, first of all, uh, wondering why you had to go through what you had to go through I want you to know that you're going to you're healed for a purpose you're healed you've had gone through pain for a purpose you've gone through turmoil for a purpose he says go in pieces meaning take what I've done and move on into your your life of wholeness and I want you to know that God doesn't waste any ounce of trouble and trial in your life now that's good news, right? Because many of us don't know what to do with our pain, but God said, I'm not wasting your pain. I'm not wasting your headache. I'm not wasting your sleepless nights. I'm not wasting your tears. I will move you from just the healing of what I've had to bring you through and move you into wholeness. And he uses confirmation, affirmation to push this woman so she just wouldn't go back home and be healed. He wants her to move out in all the courage. Come on now. You have built up something in your process. This woman has learned how to trust God. She's learned how to move on and not be bitter. She's not bitter at the doctors. And God said, I need you to move on and I need you to move into wholeness. And so this is an aspect of somebody coming out of sickness 
or an issue and moving into their prophetic destiny. And so those who've been through issues and illnesses and, and things of that nature in your body, I want you to know that God has done it for a purpose. And God wants to move you into prophetic destiny with everything you learn. I'm tell you something. When you've been sick or ill, and going through different circumstances, it takes something just to keep on going. And God has given many of you the spirit of exhortation, the spirit of encouragement, the spirit of inspiration, because you are a survivor of the thing that has tried to take you out. And so now you got an edge on your words of inspiration. And he wants to move you from just celebrating your healing and move you into inspiring others about the ability to hold on. All right. All right. So I want to show you that where I get this prophetic destiny from this push. Let's go to John 8. I want to show you something else. John 8 verses 1 through 11. Because everybody not necessarily coming through a sickness. But sometimes you can be coming out of sin. And many times we don't preach the full aspect of how Jesus deals with sin. And his expectation, even when we come out of sin. I want to read John 8 and 11. It's a familiar passage of scripture, but I think it's powerful because some of you coming from some mess ups with God. Some of you coming out of some mess, out of some entanglements. Yeah. The world taught us about entanglements. The Bible tried to teach us, but we didn't pay no attention to it. The Bible says, uh, be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. The Bible tried to tell us about that, but we had to see it on TV and, and get out of entanglements. And so John 8 kind of shows us this lady is caught in, a, caught in a little bit of entanglement. I want you to see something. Turn to your Bibles, John 8. I want you to discover this with me because I want to teach you even how to move on from sin. I want to teach you how to move on from sin. I want to teach you how to move from sin into destiny. And we got to teach that we can't just hold people to their past, hold people to their wrongdoing. Matter of fact, we're in error to hold somebody when Jesus has set them free. All right, John 8 chapter verse 1. Let me start reading here so you can see uh, what happened here. John 8 says, Jesus went up to the Mount of Olives and early in the morning he came into the temple and all the people came unto him and he sat down and taught the people. So let's get it the scene right. Jesus is teaching the people. All right. He's using his influence to teach people the things of God and then how to live a godly life. So de Jesus is teaching. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. When they had set her in the midst, they said unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery. In the very act. All right. So Jesus is teaching. While he's teaching, they bring him a situation. A woman who's taken in adultery in the very act. So they are the ones who are the witnesses that say this woman was caught in adultery. We actually grabbed her and took her in the very act of adultery. All right, that's that's already something else. And so I guess it says that the man got away, but they was able to grab the woman. I'm not sure what all that says, but they grabbed the woman. And, and if you know a little bit about biblical context and even people's mindset during this time, it even is a mindset that people are harder on women in their sin than harder on men in their sin. So they give men in a lot of connotation. Even today, there still needs to be a deliverance on how we potentially 
eventually can treat a woman in her sin and a man in his sin. For example, a man can sleep around and they can say a man or he a dog. You know, men got that nature. You know, men is a dog. And But a woman, when she does the same thing, not that any one of them are correct, but when she does, she has a greater penalty. She's called everything. She's called without any type of remorse, without any type of mercy. She's called everything. You know the names. You know what would happen. But there's still this unbalanced weight that happens in society. And so they bring this woman. I don't know what happened to the man, but we know they got this woman. She's taken in adultery. They are the witnesses, the very act. Verse 5, now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned, but what says thou? All right, so they say, we know what the law says. You to run teaching. You're saying you're called of God. Let's see how you handle this scenario since you know how to teach everybody everything. Verse 6, this they said tempting him that he might accuse them, but Jesus stooped down with his finger, wrote on the ground, and as, as though he heard them not. So when they continue asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, he that is without sin among you, all right, those of you who want to judge, who are witnesses, and you are out sin among you, let him cast the first stone at her. So he says, all right, since you believe in the law of Moses, we're going to actually activate the law of Moses. Since you believe in the law of Moses, we're going to activate the law of Moses and we're going to give you an opportunity to stone her. But before you stone her, I need you to go through memory lane. I need you to go through memory lane. And now I believe Jesus. Now the text doesn't say it, but I believe one of the things Jesus did in this moment by writing on the ground, I believe he went right where they were. Because sometimes when people want to hold you hostage of what you've done, they're forgetting what they have done. And I believe Jesus potentially wrote the Ten Commandments so they can clearly see them all while they were holding this woman guilty and worthy of death. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground and they were, which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one. So he wrote on the ground, they heard what he said, they began to go down memory lane, and they one by one begin to, from the eldest to the, to the, to the last, begin to walk out. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the mist. When Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, woman, where, where are those thine accusers? Have no man condemned thee. So he takes her through a court proceeding. In essence, Jesus actually becomes an advocate. So what has to happen for those who have been caught into sin, you, Jesus has to become your advocate. Now, if you're still adversarial with Jesus, it's hard for Jesus to free you. You have to begin to work with Jesus and how he frees people in order to move for Jesus to be your advocate. In other words, Jesus becomes a lawyer for this woman on the outside public setting where they are. Jesus turns this into a courtroom. He writes on the ground. He tells, though, let's hold her according to the law of Moses. But first of all, go through memory lane. As they go through memory lane, they decide, no, no, no. No, I don't think I want to uh, cast no stones today. When I think about my own sins, I don't think I want to cast any stones today. They walk away. They walk away. Can I pause to say, can I pause to say this? 
even if we're living holy today, it behooves us to be humble when we're dealing with anybody else's sin. Even if you're living good and you've been living holy for the last five years, it behooves us still to be sensitive about the purposes of God for that individual, even though they may be caught in the very act of sin. Uh, and it really takes a very humble and prayerful heart to even as men and women of God to deal with anybody else caught into sin. Many times you may you may even let me talk from a pastoral point of view and, and a pastor who've had to deal with several circumstances in the body of Christ not just in the church but even other pastors and leaders and when you're talking to somebody who's sinned and fallen you got to be humble because you may be good in your own day you may be feeling great about who you are right now but maybe two years from the time you dealt with them harshly here comes your temptation here comes your moment and sometimes uh, uh, because you hadn't been tempted you don't know what it is to not pass the test when you ain't had nobody coming up tempting you nobody in your inbox while you vulnerable it's easy sometimes to, to act like you know you superhero and you got to be careful in the day of your strength on how you deal with other people I want to say that as we're moving into understanding prophetic destiny because some of us think we can help others by condemning them rather than helping be an advocate for their freedom Jesus becomes an advocate for their freedom without condoning her sin I'm getting ahead of myself I'm starting to preach but it's okay I'll teach in a second without condoning her sin he becomes an advocate for her sin and he notice he says to her where are thine accusers so notice the Bible tells us who's the accuser of the brethren it says Satan is the accuser of the brethren I'm in Revelation it says and he accuses those day and night but they overcame by the blood of the lamb and the words of their testimony all right so the satan is the accuser jesus is never the accuser so he says to her where are those accused where are your accusers where are those bringing accusations he cleared the room he cleared the room he begins to free her from the spirit of condemnation. See, as long as you continually have accusers in your life speaking to your past and your past sins, you will always live in condemnation. And, and it's worse yet if you become an accuser of your own destiny, an accuser of your own prophecy, an accuser of your own next forward steps and your next destiny and your next place. If you allow the devil now to use you that you bring up your own past your own mistakes and you start telling yourself why you can't move to a better place is because of what you did two years ago or what you did five years ago oh I believe today today is somebody's moment today is somebody's day that God was going to remove the ministry or the spirit of condemnation that has tried to be a dark shadow over your past issues and mistakes Jesus says to the woman you see it right there Jesus is not an accuser of your past or your sins or mistakes Jesus his strength is to be an advocate come on you know about Jesus the Bible says for God so loved that he gave 
his only begotten son. Jesus, the Bible says his name shall be Emmanuel. God is with us and he shall save his people from their sins. So the whole ministry of Jesus is to free people from what they're stuck in. Let me tell you something right now. If I ever get caught into something, do me a favor. Bring me to Jesus. Before you bring me to the people, before you bring me to the accusers, before you bring me to all that, I tell you, if you find me in some foolishness, some sin, and some mess, just go ahead and bring, please do, whatever you can do, bring me to Jesus. Bring, please, bring me to Jesus. They made the mistake thinking they were going to condemn this woman, but they brought her to Jesus, and now Jesus is working on her prophetic destiny. Jesus is looking to free her, and I know this, I know this, I know this, I know this, I know there are consequences to sin, hear me clearly, I know there are consequences to sin, but, but, but one of them is not condemnation. I know there's consequences to sin. There are things that will happen because of sin. So sin is not to be taken lightly. But one thing you're free from is condemnation. Come on, Romans 8. We got to teach this even to the body of Christ. Because there are people who walk in the spirit of condemnation. Romans 8 tells us there is therefore now no condemnation. Come on, Romans 8. You know it. To them who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit of God, all right? After the spirit of Christ. And so condemnation is being removed from her life. There are no accusers. Who, who's here to condemn you? Look, verse 11, here it is. I'm, I'm, I'm finished with this aspect of it. And we'll move on to the next one. She said, no man. He says, where are your accusers? Which means, again, Jesus is not there to accuse. Jesus is there to remind you that you got a destiny. Although you fell into sin, although you committed adultery, although you sinned and cheated, although, see, if you're not careful, sin will keep wrapping you up in what you've done. He tries to unravel her to say you have no accusers. She said, no man, Lord, verse 11, and Jesus said unto her, neither do I condemn thee. Go there go again, prophet of destiny. There go again. Go, that whole word, go, and he said, sin no more. So for everybody who was having an upset challenge while I was teaching about freedom, and you still wanted to deal with her sin, there go right there at the end. Jesus still didn't condone sin. He says, go and sin no more, meaning sin is not acceptable. All right? So he honors that for those who couldn't wait to that end, you know, because some people are too busy trying to be the judge over your life. So if you get caught up in a situation that somebody has tried to take the power away from you and God, if you've got caught up in a situation because of your sin and now somebody has taken the power from you and now you can't be nothing but a dirty dog, you can't be no good ever, you can't be nothing but a thief. You can't be nothing but a cheater. And they have decided that those acts of sin represent who you are and who you can be and what you never can grow out of and grow into. If somebody has taken the power from you in your moment of weakness and not given it back to you, notice Jesus gives this woman back her power. You don't have no accusers. I'm I, the Lord Jesus who will have the final say on judgment. I don't condemn you. So if no one else condemn you, don't sit around here with your head hanging down about yesterday's sin. Get yourself out of yesterday's sin and the emotions of it and go and pursue your 
your destiny. And I had to teach this because everybody had men living holy. Some of you, I had to make sure you're being reconciled for tomorrow. You're being reconciled for your future. God wants to say, go and sin no more. This prophetic declaration to a person who has been caught in sin, dealing with sin. Notice how Jesus so, so sensitively unravels this woman and now she's able to go and sin no more. Now, I don't know about you, but, uh, but you should be, some of us should be some of the most forgiving and benevolent people. Let me, let me say this. Some of us have made so many mistakes. Benevolence and forgiveness should be your ministry. You done messed up so many times. You have been so arrogant, so haughty. You done had to ask God forgiveness five times in one day over the same thing. Some of our ministries should be the ministry of forgiveness. The Bible already gives us the ministry of reconciliation. But some of us should be the most forgiving people. You should be forgiving people before they ask. Just on the basis of all that God has forgiven you from. Some of y'all should be majoring in mercy. You should major. I mean, you should major. He all right. Knowing that God blessed you anyway. Look how your life done turned out after all those mistakes. Look how your life, don't, don't, don't get on the other person that they committed fornication because and, 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 you didn't get caught and they the one got pregnant. You know, we think, you know, the person, we think the person who got pregnant through fornication is worse than the person who fornicated and didn't get pregnant because we judge the act of fornication many times based on the fruit of the pregnancy and so we make the person who carried the baby uh, and, and, and did the right thing by carrying the baby and the child and, and, and through, through the act of fornication uh, we make them sometimes the worst person and the person who been fornicating and never got caught or never materialized uh, a fruitfulness of fornication, uh, we, we, we let them off the hook. No, 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 no. We got to get our judgment straight and we got to start becoming people of mercy. And Jesus teaches that you need mercy to even go into prophetic destiny. Come on, there is mercy. Come on, I'm, I, I am who I am by the grace and the mercy of God. And it's through mercy that you also can maneuver into your prophetic destiny it's not because you've done everything right can we take um, I'm tell you I'm teaching today can we take uh, the Apostle Paul now if we look at his legacy or his past he really shouldn't be preaching the gospel how are you gonna preach the gospel and you set up Christians to be killed how are you gonna preach the gospel right in our mindset but the grace of God had cleaned him up had renewed him and he had forgiven himself to that degree he considered himself of the lowest of servants to be called into this great gospel and apostle Paul writes most of the New Testament which we call the appalling epistles the things that we grab strength from the man who told us to be not weary in well-doing for we shall reap if we faint not that man that man helped kill and persecute Christians before God took him off that Damascus road and changed his life. Come on, there has to be a measure of forgiveness and mercy that you receive even for yourself so that you can preach, teach, and walk in purpose without condemnation. And, and Paul is another example of that and so sin, some of you coming out of sin, not just sickness like the woman issue of blood, but coming out of sin into purpose, alright let's move, let's go to 1 Samuel 16 I'm almost done here, but I got to teach on how to move into prophetic destiny and, and there are many of you in different places and I got to hit you with different sides here today, because everybody not in the same place 
But this one, I want to deal with your mindset about who you are. First Samuel 16, verse 6 to 13. I'll read it in a second, but let me give you the background. Samuel is grieving because of Saul has rejected God. Samuel is grieving as a prophet because he's a part of the prophetic climate of Israel. And he's tried to minister unto Saul, but Saul won't obey God's word. Saul won't do what God wanted him to do. Saul do half of it. Saul was supposed to kill um, all the Amalekites and, and, and kill them all. But he got into battle and he decided to kill, the, kill some of them and, and keep the king, which is worst off. Because if you keep the head, the head can raise up more of the same, even like killing a snake. You cut off the snake tail if you want to and think that snake dead, that snake will still bite you. You got to cut off the head. And if anything Saul did was gross disobedience. And it grieves uh, uh, Samuel. Samuel also grieved because uh, later, uh, later Saul also was trying to go uh, to witches and, and try to figure out how to get back his position and his power. And he's going to uh, familiar spirits and he's dealing with divination and all types of things because he's no longer walking in the grace of God. So Samuel is grieved about it and God comes to Samuel and say, Samuel, look, how long are you going to be grieved about Saul? He, so God has to come to Samuel. So let me take this first prophetic for people who stand on the wall for other people. And you've been wishing somebody else get it right. And you've been wishing somebody who's, who's ordained to do something you wish they would do right. And I know what that is like. I don't know what it's like to be in intercession for somebody who refuses to get right. I know what it's like to sacrifice and to pray for somebody who refuses to get right. And here I am just grieving. When you grieve, you're in a place of a stalemate. When you grieve, you're in a place of a stalemate. I know what it is to grieve over somebody. And I'm not talking about grieving because somebody passed. I'm talking about grieving because somebody's not growing. Somebody's not prospering. I know what it is to grieve over somebody not into their destiny. And I remember God saying, it's, it's, you, you've done what I told you to do. It's time for you to move on. You've been grieving. Uh, it's time for you to move on and see fulfillment in something else. And I had to learn to move on and not grieve over something, somebody who I was merciful to, gracious with, patient with, that refused to step up and do the right thing for the destiny. Here's Samuel grieving. And he's grieving and God said, I need to move this cloud of grief from over Israel because that's the prophet over Israel. Uh, Samuel, you're holding up my destiny. I got other things to do. And so Samuel is kind of concerned about Saul because Saul is just going to be angry if he's going to anoint somebody else. And he said, but I handle Saul. This is what you do. He gives him a strategy. So I want you to read these verses. It's important now on how God moves Samuel to raise up David. All right, let's read together. Come on. First Samuel 16, verse 6. It says, And it came to pass when they were come, they got to the place where God had told them to go, that they, uh, that he looked on Elab. All right, these are the sons of Jesse. All right, the sons of Jesse have all come out because God has told Samuel, Get your horn of oil and go out to Jesse's house, and I got somebody I'm going to anoint to be king. So here it is. He looked on Elab. And said, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. This is what Samuel says when he sees Elab. But the Lord said unto Samuel, look not on his countenance or on his height or his stature. Because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as a man seeth. For the Lord looketh on the outward appearance, but the 
outward appearance, but the Lord looketh for, excuse me, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. Okay, so I want to make sure you got that. God doesn't do as man seeth, for the Lord looketh on, for man looketh on the outward appearance. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. All right, and I want you to see, as you start understanding how God will move you into a prophet, that prophetic destiny, you got to recognize you are the one chosen. You are the one he has chosen. And many times through different type of mindsets, um, depending on where we were born, depending on who our mother is or wasn't, our father is or wasn't, our family dynamics was or wasn't, we start determining who we are or who we are not based on those factors, who my daddy was or who my daddy wasn't. Some people believe they're great because their daddy was great. Some people believe their mother is great because their uh, they're great because their mother was great. And we pull from all these other external things in the world to determine our purpose or our greatness. But he says, look, 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 Samuel, as a prophet, let me teach you, you got to stop looking with your natural eyes. I need you to look deeper than that, beyond outward appearance, to look at outward appearances. So some of us start taking ourselves out of God's divine prophecy because we say, I'm not tall. I'm not as handsome as this guy. I'm not as purity. My hair thinning. I don't have thick hair. I don't have these color eyes. There are certain things within us that we start considering a weakness or a fault. And because of those things, we try to leak it over into our greatness or our purpose. And so God is trying to teach Samuel, Samuel, I don't work like that. When I'm teaching, when I'm choosing somebody for greatness and for destiny, it's not necessarily based on their height. It's not based on their looks and if I go deeper it's not even based on their family background alright I look at the heart I look if their heart can handle what I'm going to bring them to do I look to see if their heart is made up with the qualities to do what I've called them to do verse 8 then Jesse called Abinadab next son so it ain't you Elab he ain't chose you I called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel so he came before Samuel and he said, neither had the Lord chosen this. Then Jesse made Shemaiah to pass by. And he said, neither had the Lord chosen this. And again, Jesse made seven of his sons to pass before Samuel. And Samuel said unto Jesse, the Lord had not chosen thee. So Samuel is going through this process to find the one who is chosen. And God is saying, look, I ain't chosen none of them. Nope, they ain't called to do this. Nope, they ain't called to do this. Nope, they ain't called to do this. Let me read pause. Many of us are, are in that type of mindset. We normally choose somebody to do our assignment, but God is saying, I ain't chose them. God said, I ain't chose them. God said, you said, oh, he should do it. She should do it. Oh, he could speak before people. You know, like Moses. Moses was thinking that God shouldn't be calling him because he had a speech impediment. And he said he couldn't do this thing. And God said, you can do this thing. All right. And so again, oh, he, all these sons have passed before uh, Samuel's sons. And the Lord hadn't chosen all these, these sons. Verse 11. And Samuel said unto Jesse, are here all thy children? Are these all your children? And he said, there remaineth yet a youngest. And behold, he keepeth sheep. And Samuel said unto Jesse, send and fetch him. For we will not sit down till he come hither. Now listen how God sets the stage for picking who he's chosen. 
Number one, he begins to show us that clearly that God is not going to move on without using you. Now, you have been denying God all your life. You have been putting off God, telling God, go use this person. I'm not qualified. Use this person. I want you to see here that God said, I don't care. I've been waiting on that one. Because that one, you said, well, God, you got many other people you could use. You got many other. God said, I've been waiting on you. It's you that I want. It's you that I'm calling to do such a thing. Well, God, there are other businesses doing certain things. God said, I'm not calling you to talk about other businesses. I want you in the game. I want you in the business. And this is why God behaves. God says, I'm not satisfied with everybody else. I want you. And he says, allow all these sons to pass by. And he says uh, to Jesse, we're going to wait here. Go get him. We're going to wait. Nobody leaving till he come. Verse 12, and he sent and brought him in. This is David. Now he was ruddy and withal of a beautiful countenance. Goodly to look to. So he looked good. Took care of himself the best of his ability. And the Lord said, arise. Anoint him for this is he. This is who I've chosen. It's not based on countenance. It's not based on what it looked like, but based on his heart, I've chosen. Some of you have been chosen by God, not based on your family background, but God has given you the heart to do it. You got a heart to serve. One of the qualities of David was his heart to serve, which is in contrast to Saul. Saul didn't have a really heart to serve. Every time Saul got power, it became all about Saul and not about the assignment or about the people but David could handle the position of authority and not get arrogant and not lose what God put him in a position for. He had the heart. We see it in the text because he's out there keeping sheep and he's called from keeping sheep, a very humble position uh, and he's called out from keeping sheep and and God says arise, anoint him. This is he, this is the one. So God ain't looking for nobody else. God looking for you in this season. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. And the spirit of the Lord came upon David from the day forward, from that day forward. So Samuel rose up and went to Ramah, went on his way. So Samuel got released because he's no longer grieving because he's poured the oil. He's been waiting for this oil to flow on somebody else because it left Samuel. But now David has been anointed and look at this. This is what God told me to prophesy also. For many of you, you are entering into the days of vindication. The days of vindication. Notice that God could have brought David into his destiny in a closet. But like I told you about confirmation and affirmation, many times God will confirm and affirm publicly. And some of y'all don't understand the trouble that's going on in your life. Let me prophesy to you. He's getting ready to prepare a table before you in the presence of your enemies or those who rejected you or denied you. And many times God's not satisfied with blessing you in a closet. The way God is, God will humble those who are arrogant. He will humble the forward. He will humble the pride, prideful, and he will use you. You're humble. You ain't looking for all that. See, you ain't looking for it, but God is bringing the days, I feel the Holy Spirit, to bringing the days of vindication to you. You've been trying to vindicate yourself. You've been trying to explain yourself. You've been trying to explain your destiny to people. You've been trying to let them know you're really humble, but you see big things. But no, no, no. God say, hush up. I I am the God who will bring the days of vindication. All the pain you went through, I'll bring the days of vindication. And God openly rebukes 
Jesse and the sons. Oh, it's a, it's it's David's time. It's David's time to walk in greatness. But when God started raising up David, he was rebuking Jesse and rebuking the sons. Cause look at it. Samuel had to pause and say to Jesse, something ain't right, Jesse. Because when I came here, I asked you to bring all your sons. You brought the sons you enjoyed the most. I hear the Holy Spirit. You, you know, because sometimes in families, some parents get caught up in favoritism. They treat one son good and treat the rest of them like trash. I don't know whether they just caught up in pain or maybe one child act like them and the other one act like their other parent. And they want to say, you act like your daddy or you act like your mama. And because the other one act like their daddy and act like their mama, they treat them funny and they disown them. And there are all kinds of things that have happened in families where other people have been embraced, where the other child have been left like the black sheep. But God is saying, I'll bring forth the days of vindication to you. I'll show them that I called you from your mother's womb. I'll show you that I called you to be great and I've given you purpose and destiny and God could have anointed David in the closet but at the time he was raising up David he was rebuking Jesse for how he parented, parented David he didn't even bring David to the anointing process Samuel had to say basically something ain't right because the oil won't flow God sent me here and told me you had a son that I was going to anoint and I'm looking around and God rejected everybody else where's your other son and God bring, begins to bring uh, David to the front front. And so many of you, I prophesy, are in the days of vindication. As a part of moving into your prophetic destiny, it's God. God says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. See, when you're on God's side, you can't be focused on vengeance. You got to yeah, lose yourself from that. But God, not only because you forgave them, I mean, I hear the Holy Ghost, or because you forgave them, don't mean that God's still not going to get them, or because you let it go because you were supposed to to because you couldn't move on with bitterness you couldn't move on but God said because of who you are I still will rebuke them and God says but I still hold a grudge against it see God said but I still feel some type of way about that how they treated you God said but they didn't they, they had they hadn't turned their heart right they hadn't repented of their sins God will come with the days of vindication and God brings about the days of vindication even for the the point of your prophecy and so when you're moving into the divine prophecy, I'm trying to tell y'all, somebody forgave your enemies, forgave those mistreated you, but I'm about to tell you, God's about to move into vindication. Because <laughs> it's a part of moving you into your prophetic destiny. That God will move you into prophetic destiny. All right, let me get out of here. Let me get out of here. Many times we got to understand we're going through a process. And I'm going to end with Genesis 5 and 50 and 20. Let's go to Genesis 50 and 20. I'm in right here. I told you I felt led to teach today. I got to teach and inspire because I got to move you into your prophetic destiny. If you're going to win, you got to know you got purpose. You got purpose for your pain, purpose for your process. And I'm going to end right here in Genesis 50, verse 20. It's a final summation of the process that Joseph the patriarch is able to describe. This is after Joseph recognizes why he went through what he went through. Joseph had went had a promise, had a dream. 17 years old, he has a dream. That he had some sheaves or harvest. And his harvest stood straight up tall. But his brother's harvest bowed down to him. And said and it gave obedience or humility or homage to his, his destiny. So he told his brothers. 
But it put, the, they were already insecure when he told his brother, they were already insecure. See, that's how it is. When you're talking to people who don't know their destiny, they're insecure. When you're talking to people about your destiny and they don't know their destiny, they don't know their spiritual destiny, they become insecure. See, people who know what God called them to do, you can talk to them all day about what God's going to call you to do. They'll celebrate with you. Why? Because they are fine knowing your greatness because they know their greatness. But if you think you can be happy talking to people about your greatness and they're insecure and don't know God and the power of destiny for themselves, oh, you're going to get a fight. Oh, see, many times in life, brother, sister arguments, when people don't know themselves, they're going to always tell you think you somebody. And ain't that that you're acting arrogant? The truth of the matter, I know I'm somebody. In humility and grace, I know it. Well, when you when a pro, when you talk to somebody who don't know who they are, and you telling them what God's gonna do. See, his brothers didn't couldn't say, "Well, hey, if you're gonna bow down, just bless us real good." Don't you recognize that somebody's gonna bless you? Somebody's gonna help your life. My life has been blessed because somebody blessed me. But if you get caught up that you always got to be the top dog. You always got to be the one ruling over everybody. Come on now. You're in the wrong spirit. And so Joseph tells his dream to his brothers. Let me get on him. Joseph tells his brothers, and that's his promise. He has a promise that God's going to give. But in promise, there is process. And he has no idea what he's going to have to go through to be the person to bring this to pass. And so the first place he goes to is the pit. He's put in a pit. Out of the pit, he's sold into slavery. He goes into a pit. They put him in a the pit. They mar his coat with blood. Take that coat back to his brother, his daddy, excuse me, his dad. His brother take it back to the dad as if he has got killed by a wild beast. And his dad begins to grieve the loss of his son. Because Joseph is, one of his, is his favorite son. Then after that, he sold from the pit into the prison. He goes into the prison. The reason he's in the prison, because Potiphar's wife wanted to sleep with him. And he ran from her. But when he ran from her, she, she grabbed his coat. And when she grabbed his coat, he ran away with whatever he had on under his coat, but she screamed. Joseph tried to come in and take advantage of me. And although Joseph was like, I'm innocent, she felt like she had proof. The proof was his coat. He was here, y'all. See this red coat? See this? And she played a scandal on him. And he had to go through the scandal of what it looked like. He looked guilty. He looked guilty, but he didn't have the upper hand. Now, Joseph was powerful, powerful and powerful his house. But one thing he didn't have, he didn't have the influence of Potiphar's wife. She lifted her voice and used her influence, and the Potiphar had no choice but to hear the voice of his wife, and they put him in prison. But while he's in prison, he get back to this main key component of how to win. He was in a crisis, but he kept doing what God called him to do. He started prophesying. I want some of you to stop waiting until your crisis ends to start walking in who you are. Joseph started activating. He can't cry about being in the pit. He can't cry about being away from home. He can't cry about being a stranger. He starts activating purpose. And we see Joseph start prophesying in the prison. Activating purpose, prophesying in the prison. And as he prophesies, uh, he prophesies, remember me next thing you know, he's brought up out the prison and God begins to turn things for his favor. So much so that a famine comes. He gives a strategy to the people of Egypt on how to survive the strategy. God gives him wisdom on how to do that thing. In the midst of the famine, while he's saving uh, the Egyptians, while he's saving uh, the people where he sold into slavery. Listen, 
of that. Sold into slavery, been through mockery, been through scandal, but free enough to be used to give them wisdom. Come on now, come on. See, you got to get that bitterness out of you, out of your process. If you're going to move into your prophetic destiny, you got to get the process of the pain out of you. See, Joseph would function in freedom. He gave a strategy, walked in his power, gave a strategy. The next thing you know, he began to remember about his family. He went to seek for his family because he knew his family was in the family. He brought them forward and brought his family in there. In the midst of the whole story, God begins to show his family how he was used. All right, to move through the story, and Joseph recognizes, this is verse 50 and 20, he recognizes clearly while he had why he had to go through what he had to go through he reads it like this but as for you genesis 50 verse 20 but as for you talking about everyone else your brothers when they recognize oh this is joseph he reveals himself to them all right he reveals himself to him he said but as for you you thought evil against me but god listen to this but god but god meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. See, you can't walk into prophetic destiny until you allow God to be sovereign over your pain. Until you allow God to be sovereign over your process. Joseph says, look, I know they because his brothers are shamed because now they can see clearly that their arrogance and their bitterness put their brother in a the process. They don't know what to do with this thing. They sold, they, there was a part of selling their brother into slavery. They don't know what to do with this thing. They're about to be overwhelmed by guilt and condemnation, and they don't know what to do. Joseph frees them. See, free people can free people. Free people, people who are free in heart can free others. Joseph, the one who been through the process, the one who been through the pain, the one who been through all the situation, he's able to free his brothers at the moment they recognize that this is Joseph, that their actions hadn't stopped the prophecy, that their actions hadn't stopped the promise. They're not celebrating, oh my God, they're not celebrating, they're overcome with shock and condemnation and he frees them and say, you meant it for evil. And God, and but God meant it for good. You, you allow the enemy to use you for evil, but God meant it for good. You can't allow yourself to move into perfect destiny until you release everybody from all their pain. To release everybody from all their troubles. To release everybody that did you wrong. You can't free people until you become free yourself. You can't free people. Come on. You can't free people until you free yourself. Till you free yourself. Joseph is free and he's able to tell his brothers, y'all be free. This was God's doing. <laughs> Y'all be free. God allowed this to happen. Y'all be free. Go on about your little business. Go on here. This is God. God put me through this process. God gave me the promise and God was Lord over the process. He was Lord. God meant it to bring about good. And I'm telling you today, as you're moving into prophetic destiny, I got to get you focused on purpose because winners are focused on purpose. Winners are focused on prophecy. Winners are focused on what God is trying to bring out into their lives and I got to move you away from the mindset of being in crisis management and I got to get you now into prophetic destiny management and how to manage destiny and how to manage prophecy in your life and how to take hold of all that God wants to do in your life and I'm telling you today 
Excuse me, as I'm praying, I'm telling you today that many of you, God's about to move you into the days of vindication. God's about to move you into the time of prophecy. This is your moment. This is your day. This is your season. And God has released a prophetic notion and a prophetic unction to you for to get yourself up, rise yourself above your pain. Get yourself out of your process. Get your emotions out of being stuck. This is a time to matriculate and to maneuver into what God has called you to do. This is a time to maneuver you and what God has called you to be. This is a time to move you into what God wants you to say. This is your time to awaken that there is a prophecy over your life. There is a prophecy over your life. I'm talking to every one of you. I'm not talking about just preaching and teaching. I'm talking about prophecy to be a good father. Prophecy to be a good mother. Prophecy to be a business owner. Prophecy. Many different things that God has declared for you to rise up from your process and walk into your prophecy. I believe this like now before. God wants you to win your crisis. And like now before, if I got to talk to you about who you were called to be, I got to talk to you about your purpose. I got to remind you that before you had an issue, you had a prophecy. Before you had a problem, you had a prophecy. Before you had uh, uh, situations, you had a prophecy. Before you were born, like he told Jeremiah, I didn't read that, the first uh, book of Jeremiah, he had to tell Jeremiah, before you was in your mother's womb, I knew you, meaning I had already destined you to be a prophet to the nations. And you got to understand, before you got into your mother's womb, before you came out of your mother's womb, there was a prophecy over your life. And I'm trying to make sure you know who you are in this season you know what God has called you to do you know what God has called you to be there is a spiritual awakening that God wants to happen in the midst of a pandemic don't you go to sleep now it's time to awaken and arise to what God has called you to do and what God has called you to be it's time for you to spread your wings as an eagle it's time for you to run and not be weary it's time for you to walk and not faint it's time for you to rise to what God has promised in you to the foundation of the earth don't just be what you're seeing be what you're called i say don't just be what you're seeing what you have seen be what you are called called to do from god not just what you've seen your, what you've seen may not be a good enough framework for what god has called you to do and while you're at home i want you to lift your hands i'm talking to you and i believe there's a heaven that's open before you and i believe by the teaching that there's a glory cloud and there's a purity that's coming into your atmosphere and there's a sanctification that coming to wash away all those other notions thoughts and ideas that's lower than the prophecy come on you are who God says you are you are who God called you to be and before there was an issue before there was a sin there was a prophecy and only Jesus can advocate advocate for your trouble advocate for your sins and your shortcomings and your missteps Jesus can advocate you and make you whole and put you back on the track to prophecy and father I release your grace through teaching today that grace will come to homes and grace will come to mindsets and grace will come to belief systems that we are chosen of you how do you have chosen 
chosen us. You didn't want them for that. You wanted us for that. Like you called David for that. Hallelujah, God. And you will bring the days of vindication upon us that we may know that you have chosen us and us alone. We thank you that you're moving us into prophetic destiny and you awaken us to purpose. And we thank you, oh God, under the sound of my voice, there will be no purpose, no person who wouldn't recognize their purpose. I said there will be no person that would not recognize their purpose. We thank you, Lord, for a spiritual awakening that people can say, I belong here. I know where I belong. I know what I'm supposed to do. And I'm moving in prophetic destiny. And we decree and declare that to be so in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now open your mouth and begin to worship him. Come on, everybody. Begin to worship him. I want you to worship him for this word. Thank you that he's moving me into prophetic destiny. I got a purpose. I got a destiny. Hallelujah. Through everything I've been through, it's been on purpose. Hallelujah. God meant it for good. God meant it for good. And God can take my pieces and God can take my shambles and God can take my sins and God can take my pain and bring forth glory out of it. Come on, I worship him for it. I worship him today. I worship. I am a winner. I'm more than a conqueror. Hallelujah. Goodness is coming out of me. Greatness is coming out of me. Goodness and mercy follows me. Hallelujah. All the days of my life, I am appointed to be where God wanted me to be. I am appointed for greatness. In the name of the Lord Jesus, we worship you and we praise you today that you're moving us into prophetic destiny. Not only are you healing us, but you're moving us into prophetic destiny. I'm telling you, I'm really triggered to teach and to preach, but I had to teach you and show you that there are many people had to move where Jesus would say, go in peace, or he would shift people out of being normal, being normal or feeling like they don't have specific purpose and pushing them into their destiny. We hope you've been blessed by this fresh word from Truth Gatherer's Dream Center Church. Pastor Joseph Davis and the congregation invite you to join them. You can find more information by following them on social media. Just look up Truth Gatherer's Dream Center Church. And we pray that God will bless you richly and abundantly in the coming days, knowing that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him.